Greetings and welcome to episode 7 of Cryptids Folklore or More, a podcast where me and my co-host Megan discuss whether cryptids are just folklore or more. I hope all of our listeners had an awesome holiday season and we wish everyone the best in 2024. Due to it being a new year, I've also decided to mark this episode as the start of season 2. Doesn't come with an increased budget, however. Now that the holidays are over, we find ourselves thrust into January, a month that, depending on where you live, is associated with long, cold, snowy days. As someone who resides in the northeast portion of the United States, I can say at least that is my mental picture of the month. Although global warming has certainly chipped away a little bit of that perception for me, as I definitely remember far more winter snowfall occurring as a child. Freezing snowy conditions push the limits of what the human condition is, as humans really aren't evolved for both extremes of temperature and weather, hot or cold. We don't have thick fur coats nor have huge amounts of fat reserves like a grizzly bear. Humans who find themselves trapped in such desolate environmental conditions may find themselves resorting to behavior thought unimaginable, such as cannibalism the consumption of another human being. And though that pivot may seem extreme, it is what's necessary for some to survive in such frigid conditions and possibly become something even more monstrous. Cannibalism and cold weather seem to share a connection with one another. While I can't find exact statistics showing whether cases of cannibalism go up in freezing conditions, it certainly wouldn't surprise me. There have been infamous cases of the two occurring in conjunction with one another. One example would be the story of the Donner Party, a very famous American tale. The early to mid 19th century was a time of widespread westward migration for many pioneers for resource opportunities presented by the land out west. The Donner Party was one such ambitious group, made up of 87 members. Starting the daring trip in the spring of 1846 in Independence, Missouri, located in the middle of the United States, the goal destination being California. Such a trip back then presented a long and arduous journey for the pioneers who embarked on them in their horses and wagons, but in their minds, the opportunities out west were worth the challenge. During the winter of 1846 and 47, the group that already had tensions rising due to setbacks during the trip found themselves trapped by heavy snowfall at Truckee Lake, an area in the Sierra Nevada mountain ridge, which was in the last 100 miles of their trek. Here, the party exhausted all available food sources until eventually having to resort to the unspeakable consumption of dead members of the party in order to survive. The party found themselves trapped for four months at the camp while waiting for rescue parties to organize rescues for all the members. By the end of the whole ordeal, of the 87 individuals who had entered the mountain range, 48 had only survived. Reports of the story had shocked the public at the time, and in addition, it demonstrated the struggles of pioneer life at the time and the extremes that humans pushed to the brink might partake in. This is also far from the only case of cold-induced cannibalism. Other cases included the 1972 Andes Mountain plane crash of the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, 
which recently got a Netflix film retelling, as well as another case, Franklin's Expedition, a British expedition to explore unnavigated sections of the Arctic Circle in the 1800s. It's not surprising to see cases of cannibalism in such cold, harsh conditions. Seasons of cold conditions or areas with such conditions are times and places where nutrition is harder to come by. Forests become a lot quieter as animals enter hibernation and or become much less active so that energy can be conserved. Some species choose to migrate to more favorable conditions, therefore food is going to be harder to come by and on top of that, snow and cold present a mobility challenge forcing one to look closer for sustenance and resources. So. How does all this tie into this episode's subject of discussion? That being, the Wendigo. Why did we choose the Wendigo for our podcast about cryptids? Well, I've always thought of the cryptid as being a piece of Native American folklore. But throughout the years, I have seen it discussed on cryptid forums and even known a few people who believe the creature to be based in reality in some way similar to something like Bigfoot. So, I decided to dive deeper into the story of Wendigo, to see if there's any truth to it. Also, the podcast title, Folklore, or more, does open the doors to the exploration of something like the Wendigo. So, let's dive in. The Wendigo originates from stories passed down from Algonquin-speaking groups of Native Americans. The geographic range of the subfamily among indigenous languages is quite large, stretching across large swaths of North America. In the descriptions given by these cultures, the Wendigo is described as a highly aggressive, cannibalistic, and supernatural being that was widely associated with winter. The creature was cold at heart, embodying the worst of human traits. Most accounts described Wendigo as being originally human and got transformed into the Wendigo through the consumption of human flesh, which is described as a selfish and greedy act. The Wendigo is often described as a creature that appears malnourished and skeleton-like in appearance with long, gangly limbs, likely stemming from its origins as a starving human. Additionally, it is usually depicted as having antlers on its head, though some pop culture depictions portray it without these. It's also armed with deadly sharp teeth and claws and has gray skin. Looking into potential sightings does not really bring up much. Unlike something like Bigfoot, there aren't really any verifiable sightings of the creature. There are no blurry photos 
or videos like with other subjects we discussed so far on the podcast. There was, however, one interesting Canadian murder case we were able to dig up linked to the Wendigo and even led to the first official hanging to take place in Alberta, Canada. On December 20th, 1879, a Native American man named Swift Runner was hung in the region. What was his crime? Cannibalizing his family. However, the man claimed that he wasn't at fault as he was possessed by the evil spirit of the Wendigo. It's important to note that in Native American mythology, the creature isn't just a physical entity, but also a supernatural one. To many members of the Algonquin-speaking tribes, the spirit of the Wendigo was very real, and in some ways, they may be right. North American tribes had to rely on sharing resources and know how to survive. It's crucial to remember the context of these tribes. They lived to tough conditions where it could be very tough and stressful to gather up resources needed for survival. Such conditions could severely impact the human psyche. The Wendigo, as creature symbolizing famine, winter, and cannibalism, certainly makes sense. So, after looking at all of that, how real is the Wendigo? Well, I certainly don't think of the creature as some undiscovered mutation that can occur in humans who then proceed to just skulk around in the woods like any other animal after transforming. The lack of sightings or empirical evidence shows this. In addition, none of the real cases of cannibalism discussed earlier in the episode led to any alterations of the human form that were documented. Despite this, however, the metaphor of the Wendigo is very real. The Wendigo as a symbol for the consequences of something very real, the consequences of human selfishness and greed which can lead to negative and or violent acts against one's fellow mankind, I think that this metaphorical meaning is much more interesting than just being a cryptid out there in the North American wilderness. Therefore, the Wendigo is a subject that the cryptid believability scale would not really apply to in my opinion. The title of this podcast is Cryptids, Folklore, or More, and in this case, I would say it is folklore, but it's the best kind of folklore, one with meaning and messages applicable to human nature. The realness of the Wendigo comes when we hear cases of immoral, monstrous acts committed by others. In a way, people out there are Wendigo around us in the world, and in some ways, it's more real than you think. In my opinion, the story of the Wendigo is very interesting, and the context is certainly a bit gruesome to read about, respecting nature and the moral rules to follow, and if you don't, there will be consequences. I agree that it's folklore, and it has been told throughout generations of indigenous people showing that it had value. It's also certainly left its mark on pop culture, as I would venture to say that most people have likely heard of it in some shape or form. Both of us have known about it for years. It's made frequent appearance in media appearing in books, movies, and even video games. Minnesota even has a lake named after the creature, called Lake Wendigo. Funnily enough, in Southern Wisconsin, there's a restaurant called the Wendigo. On the menu, it lists a cannibal burger stuffed with tenderloin and bacon. 
The story has slowly moved far and wide, its places of origin at this point, but it's also still important to remember the meaning behind the cautionary tale of the Wendigo. And with that fascinating note, we have reached the end of another episode of Cryptids, Folklore, or More. Like always, you can contact the podcast with feedback or suggestions at cryptidsfolkloreormore at gmail.com. That's all one word. And there is also the Facebook page, Cryptids, Folklore, or More, that can be followed. Someone did message complimenting the sound design of the 52 Hertz Whale episode, and we definitely appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the seventh episode, and of course, unlike cryptids, don't stay hidden. Till next time.